0: Can you put your hands together for Jesus? Come on, every location. Come on, Wiggins, Long Beach, Ocean Springs. Come on. So good to be with you guys. Thank you for allowing me to come and spend some time with you. I have a deep love for the Ducote family. Many of you may or may not have known this, but my father pastors now for over 40 years and uh, in the New Orleans area and Pastor Van and my father have been long friends. I mean, since my teenage years, Pastor Van and Jan, just kind of like you guys have always been a beacon of hope and of life and encouragement to us. And so I just want to thank you for your influence I mean when I was being ordained as a pastor right when I was being laid hands upon Pastor Van and the team were there and so just thank you for your investment in us and I think about what God's doing in this church I don't know if you realize what a miracle you're a part of I I have been doing this as a part my father planted a church when I was 10 years old I'm 43 I've been in a church plant for 33 years that's a long time. Would y'all stretch your hands this way and pray for me right now? Okay, that's a long time. I've been doing setup and takedown church, portable church, whatever you want to call it, tabernacle church. It didn't regardless of what you want to call it, we've been doing this for a long time. And one of the things that I get the privilege of doing is seeing churches all over the United States and all over the world, seeing how they're impacting their cities. And one of the things you don't see very often is a church that's over 40 years old, that's passing the baton and growing. Let me say that one more time. You rarely, you rarely see a church that's over 40 years old that's passing the baton well to the next generation, meaning that when you walk in, you don't feel like you walked into 70 years ago. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Come on, you've been there, done that. Got the old slides, and it's a little scary, right? You don't, you don't know how long that chair's been there. Lord have mercy on us, right? 40 years churches typically in our world today if you have a healthy leader grow for about 10 years plateau for about 10 years decline for 10 years and never pass the baton until somebody dies right and when somebody dies the church is already at such a level of dying that it's hard to resuscitate and so it's easier to give birth than raise the dead amen everybody and so that's what they do they they close the doors And they go launch another baby somewhere else, right? But you see exceptional churches, not just healthy churches. When they get to that first 10 year, they do some healthy things to change. And so instead of plateauing, they keep growing again, right? And then when they realize that, hey, I've carried the baton for long enough. It's my turn to, to support the person who's going to carry the weight of this for a season longer. I'm going to pass that baton. It's not just a microphone. You pass the weight of this place and the leadership of you. Pass it again, and then you begin to grow again. Come on, we just launched another campus here in the south of Mississippi, right? Come on. Can we praise God for Ocean Springs? Come on, what an amazing thing. Come on, pandemic year? We're still, we're still growing church. Listen, so many times you're in the middle of something that's exceptional, And you just get used to it. You just get used to it. And and listen, I don't want my job to become your job, but I've traveled to a lot of places that are on the other side of it. After a year like 2020 where the church is not just 50% in attendance, it's way low, it's 50% in giving, it's 50%, it's lower than it's ever been and declining. Why? Because there wasn't an exceptional heart for the house. I want to honor you for following the leaders that God has placed in your house. And I just want to honor Jordan and Nadine. Who's nursing a sick baby girl this morning, right? Nadine, we had dinner with them last night and overnight a fever showed up at home. And so she's doing what moms do, right? Come on, moms, where you at, right? You got to stay home. Got to hold down the fort. You got to do what you need to. But I just want to honor you, Jordan, for stepping into what most of you don't see is not only their problems they have to work on, but they carry the problems of the house. You don't realize in 2020 how many bad days you had? Just multiply that. that that's the amount of phone calls and texts. And, and I don't know if I'm going to make it calls to the pastoral team, our lead pastors at every campus. Pastor Jordan, I just want you to say you're leading exceptionally well. I love you. I'm proud of you. Come on, church. You can do better. I'm proud of you. What you're doing is amazing. It's exceptional. It's exceptional. I'm going to talk about uh, the heart and the role of really imparting affirmation a little bit later in the message. But I just wanted to start right here at the beginning, not just to just kind of get into the platitudes and the, oh, you did great. No, no, I wanted to take a moment to just honor what God is doing here at Northwood Church. I have the privilege of seeing behind the scenes, and what God is doing is exceptional here Don't take it for granted. Your giving, your serving is creating a generational and interracial church. Come on, your giving, your investment is creating a place where regardless of your history, your heritage, or the color of your skin, God is doing something and we are the family of God. Come on, in the South, we're looking like heaven already. I love it. I'm excited about it. I hope you are. I could stay here for a long time. I I do have the responsibility of actually bringing you the Word of God today as well. Are y'all ready for this, okay? I want to talk to you about a principle that the most successful people in the world practice. A principle that the most successful people in the world practice. Now, I've already made one of the like, biggest mistakes you could ever make in preaching. Y'all ready for this? The big, I didn't honor my wife and kids sitting on the front row now. Come on, this good-looking lady, she's mine, okay? So don't nobody come looking this way, all right? If you've got your Bible, if you're following along online, we're going to begin in the beginning of the book of Acts. And I want to talk to you about the principle of repentance, now, some of you, as I look around this room, look like you've been in church for a few years, just like I have. Been in church my whole life. And most often when you hear the word repentance, you kind of it feels a little like oh, it's gonna hurt a little bit. Uh, our repentance is like almost a dirty word in certain circles, like somebody came really mad at you and said, You need to repent, right? There was anger, there was fire in their eyes, and there's a little bit of frustration. But I want you to know that the most successful leaders in the world practice repentance gonna say it to you a different way uh, and, I, and i'm gonna ask for full participation every location come on i'm gonna i'm gonna get you to raise your hands in church come on get ready all right here we go uh, how many how many guys say i would like to grow and get better and a person in the world that i know says no not me i'm good where i'm at right that, that person we run from right we're scared scared of them Every person in the world, when you say, Hey, do you want to get better? Do you want to grow? Absolutely. That is the definition of repentance in the biblical form. But somehow we've made this idea of like it's something we do once when we give our lives to Jesus, once and done. I repented. No, no, no. It is a daily part of our lives. And when we go to the beginning of the book of Acts, you see the Apostle Peter introducing repentance in the same way that Jesus introduced repentance. And I think in his very first message, the reason he introduced repentance is because he just had to do it himself. You know the story. Come on, Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to go to the cross. That he was going to lay his life down for mankind, and yet they still didn't seem to get it. And so while Jesus was being harassed, while he was in court, what did Peter do? He's standing by the fire, and a young lady walks up to him and says, Hey, aren't you one of those people from Nazareth? Aren't you a follower of Jesus Christ? And what's Peter do? How many times? How many times did he deny Jesus? Come on, three times. He denied Jesus and he ran away. Something happens between that denial. Jesus goes to the cross, right? He, we, we see his death, his burial, his resurrection. And then Jesus, Jesus begins to walk about with people and find some of his disciples who had denied him. He begins to spend some time with them. And in the middle of that time, something happened when he met Peter. Something changed. Peter grew. Peter was introduced to the power of the Holy Spirit, everyone. And he went from a denier to being the person who was tapped to hold the microphone and preach the first message in the first church. He went from denying Jesus three times to 3,000 men getting saved in one message. Now, I know most of y'all aren't preachers, but I don't know a preacher alive who wouldn't take 3,000 salvations in one day, right? Come on, that's a miracle moment. He goes from complete denier to preaching a message that anybody in the world would say, only God could have done that. But something happened between the denial and the message. Peter was changed. Peter was changed. And so he begins to preach the first message. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that the people were cut to the heart. That something he said pierced their heart. And they said, Peter, what are we supposed to do with this situation? Acts chapter 2 verse 38 is going to be on every screen. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Come on, every voice, every location, would you say that line? Repent and be baptized. I did not even know you were baptizing today, but this is a baptism message, all right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's first message says, let me tell you what I just did. I just denied all that he was, along with everyone in Hebrew culture when they chose Barabbas to be set free over Jesus. Right? Everyone denied that he was the Son of God and Savior of the world. Every one of them said that's not who he is. And then in the middle of that message, Peter repented. He changed, and God used him to do great things. And so Peter says, hey, if you want to be used by God, all you got to do is repent. All you have to do is change the direction of your life. All you have to do is accept the grace of God that he is Son of God and Savior of the world. Come on, you say that with me. He is the Son of God and Savior of the world. There is no one else like him under heaven, the Bible tells us. We believe that Jesus is everything. But for some reason, we've kind, of, we've kind of watered down the idea of repentance to I'm sorry. Come on, it's like a Justin Bieber song. Is it too late to say I'm sorry? It is. That's what we've done with repentance. We've watered it down. Where are my young people at? Well, come on, I just went Bieber on you. That's scary, all right? <laughs> we've watered down the idea of what repentance really is to just i'm sorry. And so the apostle Paul later on as he's preaching, he begins to kind of contrast godly sorrow or repentance with worldly sorrow. We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, second verse for us. On screen says godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow come on say that with me brings death look at the difference one brings death one brings you to repentance worldly sorrow brings death see what this godly sorrow has produced in you and he begins to compare some things what earnestness what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. He begins to compare the idea of godly sorrow, uh, I'm sorry, with biblical repentance. He said when you're sorrowful like God wants you to be sorrowful, it changes you on the inside. So, real quick, note takers in the room. Come on, get something out. You got your phone anyway, note takers. Let's look at some modern day comparisons of godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. So, godly sorrow, it assumes responsibility, but worldly sorrow blames others. You ever met someone who blames someone for all of their problems? It started in the garden, right? God showed up, said, Adam, how'd this happen to you? And Adam said, It's that woman you gave me. Come on, fellas. And then God goes to the woman and says, What happened? She says, It's that snake you put on the earth, right? The blame game started real, real early, and we can, be, we can do better than that, can't we? But godly sorrow, godly sorrow assumes responsibility. Give me the next one now. So, so worldly sorrow has an emotional show. We've seen this a lot. There's always this always, my dad called growing up alligator tears. Right. Just those are fake tears that that, they don't mean anything. That's just a show. You're just pretending. But godly sorrow has honest and, and heartfelt in its depiction. There's something deeper that's happening when you have godly sorrow. We go on worldly sorrow. It dodges the facts. But godly sorrow faces the facts. See, this worldly idea is like, uh uh-uh, did that really happen? Well, we've got it on video today. Y'all know there's a camera everywhere right now. There's a camera everywhere. When my children first discovered that they had, like, slow motion and all this on their camera, one of my children at, like, six years old decided that they were going to put a camera in our bedroom at night and take pictures all night of us. Y'all pray for me, right? (laughs) Right? We were climbing into the bed and noticed a little red light kind of showing off off the, the, the TV cabinet there. And we said, oh, my gosh, what is that? And we found like um, an overnight kind of taking pictures, you know. And so he doesn't know I edited that for him. There's a big gap in the middle of those pictures. There are cameras everywhere you go, but we, we have this dodging the facts. But, but, but godly sorrow faces the fact, I did this. I take re- responsibility. Let's, let's keep on going. Worldly sorrow has half confessions. They're just going to say a little bit. And my dad used to say a half truth is a whole lie. right? But godly sorrow it just admits the wrong. It just says, I I am guilty of that thing. I did that. That was me. It wasn't anyone else. Worldly sorrow goes on. Worldly sorrow has insincere promises of change, but godly sorrow just makes it right. We're living in a world of, is it too late to say I'm sorry and pretend nothing ever happened, rather than a world that says, no, 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 it happened, and I'm going to make it right And sometimes we don't even know how to make it right. And thank God that he sent Jesus on our behalf. Thank God that he sent Jesus on our behalf. So very, very clearly, worldly sorrow brings death. This idea, it kills your life. But godly sorrow, it leads you to growing and getting better. It leads you to repentance. Now, about five years ago, I don't know if any of you have this problem, but, but I, I've actually, I, I have a problem. My, my right foot is technically heavier than my left foot, especially when I'm driving. <laughs> I've weighed them. This one's heavier. And so, and I just, I'm going to confess, can y'all go with me right? I know you're not used to hearing too many pastors confess, but I, I can drive a little too fast quite often and I enjoy it. Come on. Thank you. Lady on the front row said she can relate. You and me. All right. Rest of y'all godly people, we're praying for you. <laughs> so one day, it's a Memorial Day weekend. The kids are in the back. I think they're at the time six and three ish, somewhere around there, six and four. And, and it's one of those days where it's a holiday weekend where we should be having fun. But for some reason, my kids are acting like they're children of the devil. Driving down Airline Highway in New Orleans, and I just—I'm frustrated. I'm fussing in the rearview mirror. Come on, parents, right? Reaching back, just hoping to hit one of them real good. You know, just—just just giving them the full swing and, and, and just hoping, just hoping one of them leans forward. Little did I know that I was just pushing that gas pedal. That frustration was coming out in the gas pedal, and I was driving, I was driving, and then all of a sudden, you know what happened, state trooper, come on, blue and red, it's just behind me. And in that moment, you have all sorts of thoughts that you, as a pastor, shouldn't say out loud. I pulled over, and for some reason, the way we pulled over, it wasn't clear. The, pa- the, the police officer came up on Amber's side, my wife's side of the vehicle. We rolled down the window, and I was just so frustrated. He said, sir, did you know you were speeding? I said, officer, I had no idea how fast I was going. I'm so frustrated with my children. They're making me so angry. I was just fussing. At th- I just went off to the police officer. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm sure I was speeding. He looked at me, he said, sir, I hope you have a nice day. <laughs> and he turned around and walked the other way. Now, listen, that's the difference in half-facts, pretending. Listen, I just laid it all out there, said I did it, it was me. And I tell you, some of you guys, some of you guys, you try to talk your way out, I didn't know. It doesn't work, all right? You just tell them the truth. You were doing it, and you're doing it on purpose. And if they want to be real nice, they can let you off today, all right? All right? But I I admitted, and there was an immediate response of of change where he allowed me to receive grace. He allowed me to just step out and do better next time. And listen, when I drove away, I certainly did not speed that day. (laughs) I'm trying to be honest when I admit my faults honestly. But I want to define repentance for you in a very clear way. Repentance. Repentance is a lifestyle of changing the direction of my heart, mind, and habits to reflect Jesus Christ. Repentance is a lifestyle of changing the direction of my heart, mind, and habits to reflect Jesus Christ. It's it's not, you know, I'm terrible. It's not condemnation repentance isn't condemnation and I think some for some reason in our world the enemy has tried to to mingle these ideas of condemnation as well as if that's something God wants for us today can I just tell you that God is not condemning you if he were condemning you you wouldn't be here under the sound of my voice hearing the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ you wouldn't be if God were done with you you'd be done The fact that you're still sucking air means that God still loves you, still has a plan for your life, that God is still working with you right now. And all He's looking for you to do is just turn towards Him to grow and get a little bit better. You don't have to become perfect, that's an impossibility. Listen, heaven is perfect. We're going to be there one day. Today I'm repenting. Today I'm growing and getting better. And as, listen, as an overseer and and as part of the team that gets to pastor and lead you, I'm just saying I live a life of repentance. There isn't a single day of my life that I don't open the Bible and realize that I need to change. There isn't a single time I read a verse in the Bible and say, oh, I got that one. Knock that one out. No, no, no. Most of the time I say, oh, my gosh, I need to do better. I need the grace of God. But for many of us, for many of us, we feel so much condemnation. And so we, we look at words like repentance and we think that's just, that's just condemnation in my life. Today, I want you to realize that God is not condemning you. He's inviting you to change. He's inviting you to get better. And the things that you've been praying for and hoping for only will happen in your life if you will grow and change. Insert the word repentance. If you will turn your lifestyle and your habits to look like God, you can pray to your blue in the face for miracles in your financial life. But if you don't listen to the stewardship principles in Scripture, if you don't save a little and give a little and make a difference with your money, listen, you can pray all you want because the principle is what changes the outcome in your life the principle of repentance changes condemnation it actually breaks the yokes of bondage of condemnation in your life when you turn to God but I feel like today there's just there's so many people that they lack confidence in God in their relationship to God and so now they're living in condemnation The answer to overcoming that condemnation and receiving the confidence you want in your life—if you want to overcome insecurity today—all you have to do is turn to God. All I'm going to say it again: all you have to do is turn to God. He is not angry with you. For God so loved the world. Come on, you're there. But somehow we equate our lives to a God so condemned the world. He did not. He so loved the world. And for so many of us, because we are distant from the unconditional love of God, because we've distanced ourselves from that, we feel condemnation rather than the unconditional love of God. And the outcome of the unconditional love of God is confidence. You have confidence in your life. I I am the benefit of having godly parents, just like Jordan here. Pastor Van and Jan, my my mom and dad still love Jesus, still mostly love one another. Come on, it's been a long time. (laughs) I'm just teasing, just teasing. Uh, They love God. They love each other. They love us. And that has produced unconditional love and confidence in me as a leader. I, I don't feel much insecurity because this is not about me. It's about God. I'm not afraid of walking up here because it's not about me, it's about God. I'm secure in my love and my family, and I'm secure in the unconditional love of God. I'm not living in condemnation, I'm living in unconditional love. Are y'all hearing me today? Many of us today are struggling with confidence And we're struggling and living in insecurity because we're living with a mindset of condemnation rather than just turning to God and receiving unconditional love. There's nothing like coming home to a mom or dad who's proud of you, a spiritual father or leader that's proud of you and saying, good job, you're winning You're doing everything God has called you to do. Keep doing what you're doing. And the more unconditional love you have, the more confidence you have. And I just need to rewind it to say that shows up when you turn to God. God has already poured out his unconditional love. It's just whether or not you're turning to that or whether you're turning to condemnation. Today, I want to draw you into the confidence that God really wants for you that you're spirit-filled, that you know that you've been saved by the grace of God, and you can be the man or woman that God has called you to be. Now, one of the funny things that shows up, and as you see the generational blessing of unconditional love being poured out, let me just say, if if that is not what you have grown up with, if your family did not look like a family of unconditional love, let me just say that's why God created the church. God's answer to our individual family problems was to create a bigger family he called the church. I can tell you, I I had ungodly grandparents outside. My biological grandparents were many ungodly, but inside I found some grandparents that were godly. And listen, you may be lacking unconditional love, and this is where you're going to find it. Amen, everybody? Come on, this is where you find it. But what is funny and is amusing to me as a parent is seeing how that confidence cascades in a family. And I I now have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. And listen, they don't struggle with humility, everyone, okay? Anybody else got a kid who thinks the world revolves around them? Come on, wave your hands at me real quick. Come on, wave everything you got, right? Every one of us has a child who thinks the world revolves around them. I told my wife, listen, we've got to break it to them that the world does not revolve around them. If not, somebody who doesn't love them is going to break it to them. And so it would be better that it was us than somebody else. And so uh, last week, last week we had a long school week, and um, we're, we're still in some version of virtual. I know most of us are moving out of that. We've got a few more weeks, and we're done with virtual learning, which means my kids have been at home for like a year and a half. I love my kids, but i love for them to go to school too. I'm okay with subcontracting a school for like 35 hours a week. To keep hold of them. Y'all with me? And so it's Friday and energies were high. We had, remember we had lots of rain last week. Lots of rain, lots of rain. It was just like, in New Orleans, so much rain. It was kind of overwhelming. And, and, and so we're just, all right, listen, put your shoes on, both of you. 10-year-old daughter, 12-year-old Put your shoes on. You're running a mile right now. Go outside, run a mile. They're like, but it's been raining. I don't care. You will run in the rain if we have to. So my wife kind of looks at me like, really? I'm like, absolutely, rain's not going to kill anybody, right? And so we go out, it happens to not be raining at that moment, and so they start running, and, and I start to walk, and then as soon as I start to walk, watching them run, because I'm supposed to be a good parent, I'm supposed to make sure that they stay alive while they run, and, and so it starts to rain as I'm about three houses down, and so I just turn right back around and head to the house. <laughs> they keep running. And then I felt a little bit of condemnation, And I got the keys to the truck, and I said, well, I'll ride and meet him halfway. Maybe we'll just do a half mile in the rain. And so I get to the half mile point, and and my daughter, she's lagging behind my son. He's the older. He's running faster. And and, and so I say, hey, hey Liv, do you want to get in the truck? And she's like, oh, yeah, she gets in the truck real quick, right? So she jumps in the truck, and then we swing back around. When I get to the turnaround point, my son is running, and at this point, he's fully embraced the rain. Shirts off. Come on, got the headphones in. He's just running like a model down the runway, right? I rolled down the window. I said, I said Caleb, do you, do you want to get in the truck? It's raining pretty hard. He's like, uh-uh, I'm finishing this thing. And so when he said that, right before then, I had this idea. I was like, we're going to have some fun with this. So I kept the window down, and I pulled up Eye of the Tiger. Come on, Rocky. Roll down the window. dun, 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 dun. And he starts high-stepping. Come on. We got to the house. I said, son, why, why, didn't, why didn't you get in the truck? It started raining real hard. He said, dad, I was running. And I looked down and I said, I look good. <laughs> I asked him if I could share the story, okay? And uh, what I see in my children, when you see an environment of unconditional love, what you see is a godly confidence that shows up in their lives, And so many of us, we don't have the confidence that we need because we've been living in condemnation, and we're afraid that repentance is this this going in and being, I can't believe you did. You're worthless. You're useless. You're a sinner. See, I told you, they said that's who you are, and now you're just living it out. That's not who God is. God is on the other side saying, come on. Get up. Let me show you a better way. If you'll turn to me, you'll find grace in your time of need. If you'll turn to me, you'll grow and get better. And instead of fearing the rain, come on, you'll be high stepping with a little rocky playing in the background. You'll you'll change, right? Come on, if you're gonna clap for Jesus, might as well do it all out, right? Come on, think about this. Is what God? This is what God has for you. How do you get unconditional love? Peter closes his message, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. He closes the message. Here's what he says. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Somebody say amen right there. So that my sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. All you have to do is turn to God and he wipes out everything that happened. And instead of him saying, look what you did, he says, look what I did. Instead of him saying, you did that, no, he said, I covered that. He wipes out your sins, and then there is a refreshing that comes in your heart and life. And that is where the confidence of God comes in. You begin to live out what he has called you to live out. All you have to do is turn to God. You may say, well, pastor, you know, I did that 30 years ago. Well, you know what? I do it every day. You may say, Pastor, I've been considering it for a long time. Well, now today is your day to turn to God. There isn't anything you could do in the future. There isn't anything that you have done in the past that can alienate you from the unconditional love of God. But there is this part. It's your part. It's my part where God offers and you embrace where God says this is available and you repent and you turn to God. He, he has decided not to force us to be followers. But to invite us into his family. And so today, what I want to do simply is to help you to turn towards God and remove this stigma and this idea that God somehow is walking around with a lightning bolt like it's Wizard of Oz, just looking to, ah, got them. You know, they did it again. No, 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 no. God is trying to draw you up out of the mire. He's trying to help you to grow and to be all that he intended you to be in this life. The question is, how? How do you do this? Very quickly, I'm going to give you some Just very simple points how to do this in verses. The first thing you need to do if you're going to choose to repent, if you're going to choose to live a repentant life, number one, you need to listen for the discipline of the Holy Spirit. See, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, it says, My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son or daughter. If God did not discipline you and I, then he has rejected us. The fact that he disciplines us is because he loves us. It's because He cares for us. That's why He's saying, no, 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 don't drink that. Don't smoke that. Don't do that. Why? God is not saying that for His benefit. He's saying it for ours. And we have to have listening ears. I pray daily, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear what Your Spirit is saying. How should I change? What should I do differently? God, I know I really messed that up yesterday. The way I acted with my kids, the way that I spoke in that environment, and I listened for the discipline of the Holy Spirit. I think we need more of this. We need more of this in our lives where we're just saying, God, I'm going to, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. Number two, we need to learn from our mistakes. Listen, God has not given us a runway to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, and how often we want. No, no, no. God has called us to change and to grow. And so as we make mistakes, it's time for us to learn from those mistakes and to do better. Can I get an amen in the room? Come on, some of you parents in the room, right? Listen, I, I, know, you, I know you got a C last test, but we're not getting another one. Amen, everybody, right? Uh, in my family, A's and B's are acceptable. C's, you get a little correction, right? D's, you get discipline. F, you meet Jesus. <laughs> Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 says this God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to Him. God used to overlook our ignorance, but today we are no longer ignorant. The grace of God is present. We have to learn from our mistakes. We have to just get a little better. Just get a little better. We have to learn from our mistakes. Number three, we need to lean into the grace of God. This is a really big one. I talked about this is where we find the unconditional love of God. We need to lean into grace because you may make the same mistake a few times over. You may come around the mountain instead of trying to climb straight up the mountain. You may come around the mountain, and as you go, there's a little incline. You may get a little better and a little better, right, and a little better. And as you go through that process, what happens? You may tackle the same ideas. Maybe the first time you deal with your money, you you say, you know what? I'm going to look like God. I'm going to stop wasting money. Right? And then you go a little bit further and you say, okay, what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna learn to tithe. Well, I'm gonna grow, right? I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna change. I'm gonna get better. It's little steps that you take, but you have to lean into the grace of God in order to do this. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, what I love about God. What I love about God is that if you will lean into the grace of God, you'll find the grace of God. As so I prepare to close, Jordan, are you joining me or do you have someone else playing for me back here? Y'all don't, don't, don't do that piano thing at the end anymore. I'm just teasing. Now's a great time for the piano music. That's all I'm saying. Some of y'all been in church. Oh, there it is. Thank God. I feel like it's like the Oscars. They let me know it's time to finish up, right? Pulling me off the stage. My piano guy, gets, he gets so overzealous sometimes. He shows up way too early. It sounds like, how many of y'all remember old school church where the pastor asked for five more minutes? Come on, anybody give me five more minutes, right? I'll take five, ten, come on. Pastor Van's done that one like a thousand times, right? Number four, I've got two more and we're going to pray and close. Number four, I want you to live an accountable life. If you're going to live a repentant life, you need to bring some accountability into your life. Meaning you've got to invite some people that you're going to say, hey, this is where I make the mistake mo- most often. And will you help me? And you got to find somebody that doesn't struggle with the same thing you struggle with. We, we, like, we find somebody we're like, oh, you struggle with lust? I'm going to hang out with you. No, no, then you're going to spiral, right? You need to find somebody that doesn't struggle with what you struggle with. Right? And then you can help them in their area of weakness and they can help you. You live an accountable life. James says it this way in chapter 5. I know you've been studying James. Ch- chapter 5, verse 6. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There's something about inviting someone else in. Listen, your pastors, your leaders, they're modeling the way. There are small group environments all over the place where you can just find someone. You don't have to tell everyone, but you need to tell someone because you're only as safe as your secrets, right? And if you're hiding something and you're unrepentant, you're in trouble. But if you're willing to get it out in the open, if you're willing to say, God, I'm listening for discipline. God, I want to learn from my mistakes. God, I'm leaning into your grace that you'll help me to to get up out of this situation. But God, I'm also going to tell somebody that's going to call me and say, hey, what did you do? Where did you go? How did you live? And number five, as we close, the Bible says that we should lead others to repentance. Because see, when we lead in repentance, others say, "How, how, how did that happen? What changed? How did you end up there? And then we have the opportunity to say, you know what? Well, I followed God. There are only two options in the world. Either evolution is the answer to everything or God. Either everything's an accident or everything is an intentional. Either we have an intelligent designer, or we're all just a product of some crazy bang. And I just want you to know today that I've put all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul in the one basket that we have an intelligent, incredible creator has called us to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. He's called us in. So I've got to lead others. Listen, Luke chapter 15, 7, Jesus says, In the same way there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Listen, I love the people who are righteous. Come on, you've been in church a long time. I love that you haven't strayed away. But please don't lose your love for the one. Don't lose your love for the one. You want to see decline? You want to see plateau? Lose your love for the one. Lose your love for the person who's far from God. Lose your grace for the sinner putting out the cigarettes and putting down their beer, walking up to the door. Come on, you lose the grace of God for them, then you're losing the love that God has really given you already. We need to be a church that leads others to repentance. I think if you'll do this, if you'll live a repentant life, what you'll find, just like the most successful people in the world, you'll keep growing, you'll keep getting better. Church will never be stale. You'll never wake up one day and say, man, I'm kind of bored here. It'll never, you'll never have that problem. Why? Because it's about your connection to God. And the day you feel like it's stale and the gospel's being preached and the word's being preached, it's time to look inside rather than outside. It's time to look about what's going on in your heart, in your life, because, listen, the grace of God is in this room. The presence of God that break yokes of bondage and lead to life is in this room. Come on, I've been following Jesus a long, long time, and I've been some places that they talked about God, but God wasn't there. I'm telling you, I walked into this room, and since the presence of God, God is here. As we close today at every campus and in this room, would you bow with me? Come on, in every location, just take a moment. we're going to wrap everything up in just a moment. I really sensed as we were in worship that some of you need to turn to God in a way that you've never turned before. Maybe you're here today and you've never gone all out for Jesus. This is your moment. You're one prayer away from changing everything. Maybe this last year and a half, has just rocked your world and you find yourself struggling with things that you used to overcome, but you're struggling, listen, you're one prayer away from breaking that bondage in Jesus' name. Your one decision of repentance if you'll turn to him. I believe that in Jesus' name there is power to break the spirit of condemnation in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you're far from God for any reason, And today you need to turn to God and accept that he is the son of God and savior of the world. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come to the front. But right there where you're seated, if that's you today, would you whisper this prayer? Come on, say these words with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Today I'm asking you to be my Lord and my savior. God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for trying to live this life on my own? And God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name, just a moment longer, stay focused on prayer. Just a moment longer. During worship, I sense that God had just given me authority to break this spirit of condemnation and to speak affirmation and love. God, right now, for those who are insecure, who don't feel confident in their calling in life, God, they feel afraid and ashamed, I break the yokes of bondage in Jesus' name. I break them in Jesus' name. God, I pray that your unconditional love would flood their hearts and their minds right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, that you have healed them and touched them and your hand of favor is upon them. God, I thank you that every plan of the enemy is going to fall short. And that Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're going, to, you're going to correct them. You're going to discipline. You're going to speak to them. You're going to open the doors to restoration and healing. God, I thank you for it now. Come on, just whisper these words. God, I receive your love. Come on, once more. God, I receive your love. And God, I reject condemnation. I receive your love. And I turn towards you today in Jesus' mighty name. We all said amen together. Amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate Jesus. Come on, campuses. Take it right here. God bless you. Hope you have a
1: great day. Come on, can we give it up for Josh? Thank you, man. Uh, You know, we haven't really talked much about repentance. It's not... Kind of one of those conversations hey man why don't we have a conversation about repentance but um the, the way that you describe repentance is something that we're very passionate about here because exactly what you said uh repentance we, we say it sometimes i heard this years ago repentance is like the fountain of youth for your relationship with jesus like, again, it's not something you do whenever you do something bad. It's just something you do in life, continue. You live a life of repentance. You're in the, a constant posture of realizing, like you said, you need the grace of God. And so uh, so we, we, we want to live a life of repentance. And so I think today some of you, at least I hope that you have a different perspective of re- what repentance is in your life. Um, I think that the enemy wants to deceive us and cause us to uh, to stay away from the very things that we need, you know. Like, like you said, if, if we've grown up a certain way, we, we've got this mindset that we should run from the very person or the very thing that we actually need. And, and God's grace is sufficient. And I hope that today, as you feel God's grace in your life, uh, I know that in this room today, maybe you're watching online, that I believe many of you, you said that prayer. And, and if I know, you know kind of where we're at in this room and where we're at watching online is we kind of fall into different categories. There's some of us who uh, we were raised up in church, and um, I think what happens whenever you're raised up in church, you sort of you deal with that whole thing of you know better. You, you, you should know better. And so whenever you mess up, it makes it harder to feel like God's grace is still there for you. And so then you begin to kind of shield yourself from that. And then you begin to get really good at acting like everything's okay whenever really internally everything's falling apart. And uh, uh, this is a, this is a, a church where um, we, we understand that. I grew up in church. I get it. I know what that means, and I know what the enemy wants to do to you. He wants to encase you in your situation, in your, in your faults and in your mistakes, and keep you there, crystallize you there. But you can repent, and God breaks that off of you, and you can, you can go free. Come on. And then there's many of you, you you've made so many mistakes. Maybe you, you don't have that wonderful upbringing that we were talking about. You've made so many mistakes that you're like, there's no way that God would receive me. I am unworthy. And that's another lie from the enemy. And so what do we do? We come boldly to the throne of grace because we know that he will forgive us. And so today, I believe that a lot of you, you said that prayer, maybe you recommitted your life. I think we we fall into different categories. And and as a church, we wanna try to make it easy for you uh, to take next steps. Uh, we believe that whenever we say a prayer or we make a decision in a moment like this, that this is just the first step. Okay, and so what we want to do is, is try to make it easy and try to connect with you and help you kind of know what what's what's next in your life. And so uh, we do that by by you taking this the card in the seat pocket in front of you. It's a it's a what's next card. It's got some basic information that we'd we'd love for you to take it, fill it out. And if you would take that card and if you would bring it back to the back of this room, we have a next steps area. we got some people back there who would love to meet you and talk to you. Or if you don't want to meet them and talk to them, you can just kind of like toss the card their way as you're, as you're walking by, all right? Uh, where's my introverts at? You know, you're just like, uh, you know, and keep moving. But we're gonna reach out to you this week. One of our pastors is gonna reach out and, uh, and give you some next steps to take because we truly believe that as Jesus said, that whenever we are born again, right whenever we're like a a little baby and we need some help all right we don't just lay a baby on the side and hope that it figures it out itself right it needs to be fed and taken care of and cleaned up and then so we want to help in that process in your life if you uh, if if you'd allow us to i'd also like to encourage you to uh to, to get connected get connected to the family here at Northwood Church. Uh, we have small groups. We have a Next Steps class once a month that helps you kind of know a little bit more about the church, which we'll let you know about later on this month. Um, but but there's different ways that we want to help you, again, kind of connect and, and really become uh, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Today you've made a decision to follow him, but now you begin to actually follow him and become a student of Jesus. And that, that's what a disciple means. And so we want to help you in that. So So take advantage of that, turn that card in and we'll get in touch with you. I also wanna let you know a couple of things before we roll out today. Number one is that at the end of the service, we're going to have a prayer team up here at the front of the room who would love to pray with you if you're going through anything in your life. Maybe today the message that was spoken, it kind of stirred up some things in your heart and maybe you don't have somebody to pray with you about this. I would highly encourage you to come up at the end of the service and pray with someone at the front of this room. Maybe you you did give your your life to Jesus and you need somebody to pray with you about that. I'd just love to invite you up at the end of the service to do that and also the last thing is this. We, again, we're going to be baptizing at the end of this service, all right? And uh, this is a celebration, by the way. This is not like a somber moment. This is a, a celebration of people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. And so we want to support them in that. So if you know some people that are getting baptized, I'd love to encourage you just to kind of wander this way as we dismiss today. And, uh, and, and hang out for maybe another 15, 20 minutes or so as we baptize. So uh, come on, stand to your feet. I want to pray with you as we wrap up and we're gonna go enjoy this incredible day. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done in this place today. God, that souls were saved, the course of people's lives and families were altered because of your grace and because of what you've done for us. God, it's not what we do to attain who you are. God, it's what you've done to come down to us, to redeem us, to impart your righteousness into our life. And so we thank you for that today. God, I pray for every person that's here, every person watching online. God, that you would protect them, that you would keep them, that you would give them your grace and your mercy and your peace this week as they go out and be salt and light in this in this city we love you and thank you with jesus name come on everybody said amen. amen 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 we'll see you later on bye bye